Hello, and welcome to The Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kelly. And in this episode, we are getting into We Free the Stars by Hafsa Faisal. The, so when we get into, when we start the book, the Lion of the Night has returned and he's threatening to kill and conquer to make room for the dangerous Afritz. Uh, Zafira, Nasir, Altair, and Kifa, a.k.a. the Zumra, have been separated a little bit at this point and they still have work to do to finish restoring magic to Arawiya. They have to return some hearts to of the sisters of old to each of the caliphate's minarets. And then Zafira also has to figure out how the Zarawat works, which is this magic book that she bound her life to. Um, but Altair is captured. There's open heart surgery without anesthesia. There's betrayal and many fight scenes. <laughs> what will happen to Arawiya? We're going to find out. Initial reactions. As you may or may not know, I really loved We Humped the Flame. I think I said it was my favorite book of last year that we read. Um, and then I love this one, too. Wow. Um, there was... <laughs> That's big praise. <laughs> Yay. A successful duology. Um, there were so many things going on. I loved the shift in the different POVs. So in this book, we got Altair, Zafira, and Nasir's perspectives. Um, the tension between Nasir and Zafira was so good. I just love, love, love this book. And I can't wait to read more from Hafsa. I'm like, where is our Altair Yasmin book? I'm assuming <laughs> yes, maybe please. that will happen. <laughs> um, so yeah, love this book. What did you think? So much to love. The high stakes, the action, the Zafira and Nasir chemistry, as you said, chef's kiss. Just so good. Um, the sizzle. And the Zuma friend love. I love those platon the platonic like relationships that are in this book. And I don't think we could have asked for more from this installment, this last installment of the Sands of Arawia duology, except for the spinoffs, like you said. Um, and when I was checking on Hafsa's website today, prepping for the episode, um, it's on there that she said, never say never that she would, you know, write Arawia stuff again. So we'll see. Um, plus, I would say probably the most beautiful cover designs I have seen in recent memory or in distant memory because, wow. <laughs> Just in memory. In memory. <laughs> and even like they're even pretty when you take off the cover because that's how I usually read mine to not destroy the beautiful art. The dust cover. <laughs> yes, exactly. I do the same. <laughs> um, and so like what's not to love? Keep writing Hafsa. We'll, we'll buy and read what you're doing. Recommend if you like. I would say an Ember in the Ashes. They have similar vibes. You know, chosen one, enemies to defeat, etc. Yep. <laughs> and I, I think City of Brass also, because they're in, all of them are inspired by like Arabian? No, ancient Arabia? I, uh, I think so. I don't know about Ember in the Ashes, but yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, lots of, uh, like people to overthrow, you know, yeah. and different <laughs> magical beings clashing with each other and, and stuff like that. So, uh, what else you, you, 
you say John Wick. Why? <laughs> I want to hear why. I said John Wick because I was trying to think of a movie, TV show, book that had like a moody assassin that was like you kind of root for and they're like doing <laughs> moody assassin. maybe bad things. <laughs> Um, I was thinking of Nasir and I was like, oh, like John Wick, like you understand the motivation, like so viscerally that you're on their side. I see. So I picked John Wick as well. So obviously if you're not into like action movies and kind of gory fight scenes and do not watch John Wick, but I really like that movie, especially the first one. So <laughs> would recommend. <laughs> Why did we pick this book, Jesse? I don't remember why we picked the first one, but <laughs> we already read the first one, loved it, and we wanted to finish the series. So now we're reading the second one. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we don't always finish a series, but usually if mm-hmm. we start it and like it, what we've tended to do for the podcast is just finish it if both of us want to like know how it ends and we'll do an sh- episode on it. Has that kind of been how it goes? I think so, for the most part. I mean, with the exception of Shadow and Bone, because I'm like, oh, I don't really like it. And then I was like, well, we started it, so we might as well finish it. (laughs) And that was like, we were BB podcasters at that point. That was the first book we ever read for the podcast. Yeah. And I'm glad I finished it because, you know, Six of Crows, that's where my heart is. That's where it's at. Yeah. Shadow and Bone. (laughs) That was was a fart noise. That's the hot take. That's the hot take here. (laughs) But I did like the show. So I like the show too. too. um yeah we wanted to finish the series so i don't know what more justification we have because we wanted to the covers (laughs) yes yes time to talk about world building in through the wardrobe one of the things i loved about this book was that we get to see so many places in our oh i'm gonna mess up so many names and i listened to the audiobook so i feel like i should be better okay i'm just gonna ara ara waya waya i think it's ara okay the place um (laughs) we got to travel so much in this world without the hassle of seeing everyone travel like we got one like small travel bit but it was like important to the story when nasir and safira are traveling one bed one bed and i just think that that is the way to do a travel story i don't need to see them walking around camping out whatever so thank you hafsa <laughs> i appreciate you in so many ways but especially in this one <laughs> she did she very definitely i was noticing this and i was like oh my god jesse is going to love this <laughs> she's gonna stand even more um the but like the it Hafsa does it like very deftly um move time along mm-hmm. and but it's in not in a way like you feel like you're losing something or you're like oh I wish I would have seen that scene but then you're like I I found myself at one point like fi- like a journey was coming up or something and I was like please don't make me go on this journey and then I turned the page and the time had passed and they had gotten to the place and even more and like the plot had actually developed and I was like oh thank you so much I love it but then we still got to see the places like that we hadn't seen in the last book since we were basically in, I don't remember what the jar. jar. Yeah. Um, so it was cool to see like all the different places and like what their like palaces look like and their communities and stuff, but without actually having to watch them travel to them. <laughs> <laughs> there were some libraries featured in this, uh, 
in this book and I want it. I'm like, well, our podcast is eponymous library. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I was like, well, we can think about this. Um, at one point there's like this great library it was giving me like Alexandria, you know, like a massive, like scrolls everywhere. So many librarians, like a gorgeous it was architecture. On fire. <laughs> yeah. It was on fire. Yeah. That part, but it was, it was, but like it wasn't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One does not simply burn down the library. Let's just say that. <laughs> Except you do. Apparently it happens a lot. <laughs> um, so on page 375, um, they're talking about like giving, setting the scene for the library. Um, alabaster floors, gleaming shelves stocked with scrolls upon scrolls arranged in a code. Only a few new librarians. Those few are called. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to talk to you about this because you are a librarian, AKA book, witch. And, um, like before we were recording, we were talking a little bit like access in libraries and like gatekeeping knowledge and what does knowledge justice actually mean. And so I just wanted to, I wrote this before we had that conversation this morning. So I was like, this, I, th- I don't know. It seems perfect. I want to give the space for that, for you to, yeah to talk about it. I think it was like fun to see the library stuff. Um, and it's funny cause I'm reading another book right now that takes place in a bookshop. <laughs> So obviously I just love books, um, but I love it because uh, I like the part where they're like scrolls arranged in a code only few knew because I think most people do not know like what the Dewey Decimal System is or Library of Congress or like why books are arranged in the way that they are. Like it doesn't make sense unless someone explains it. And then it like, you're like, oh yeah, of course that's why it's arranged that way. Yeah. Um, but it, it was interesting to me. It's got like, I love libraries, but at the same time, I'm like, let's not get too up our asses about libraries because <laughs> I'm like, you know, um, <laughs> I just been in library school for the last two years. So I'm also just like, oh, we take ourselves a little bit too seriously sometimes and it's okay. But I do love a good library, <laughs> especially a pretty one. <laughs> mm, yes. All the knowledge, all the scrolls, all the book mm-hmm. smells. Yeah. And it is a war tactic, I think, to burn down libraries and take away knowledge from communities. So um, there's a really good article. It might be New York Times. I'll put it in the show notes about this group of people who were um, saving libraries, um, the information from libraries, the actual texts in a library, um, I think, in the Middle East as the Taliban was coming through. Um and it was, it's a wild ride because they're like putting it in different people's houses and like just trying to save the books because like sometimes that's part of a way to save like cultural relevance and information that people might want access to later. So it was really cool. Oh yeah. Let's definitely, um, I definitely want to take a look at that article. Yeah. It's super fun. Let's discuss all things magic. We're back to blood magic being bad again. This time they keep saying that it has a cost and you don't know what it is until you see it, which was really interesting um, because that's how um, that lady died. I'm really bad with names this time around. Okay, there were a lot <laughs> of characters that were um, yeah. like second fiddle, I shall say, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I got confused with like Afya and Aya and like is Benjamin dead or not and yeah. like all of these things. Yeah, and especially because I'm like, I kind of remember them by like the group that they're in because I'm like, oh, there's like that guy who's with them for a little bit, but he's like Safi and that's like all I really remember about him. <laughs> but like, um, like I guess it's Altair's like 
first love or whatever who was also benjamin's wife like she died because she was like doing that blood magic and that was like the cost of her blood magic and then the lion is using altair's blood so that altair can't harm him which was like a whole different kind of blood magic i didn't expect um that was like really interesting to be like you can't harm yourself so you can't harm me because part of you is in me and i don't know i was just like oh this is this is a little different than i think we've read before yeah, it was a very, um, it was like dumb sir or something, when, what it was called, mm-hmm. um, the blood magic. And this was, okay, it came up to, and I was, I feel so strongly about this, but I was about to put, I was going to put it in real talk. <laughs> That's how serious I am. People, can you please stop cutting your palms <laughs> when you are doing blood magic? Okay. Cause like, I know blood magic and like lab work, blood work, I don't know, getting poked with an IV aren't the same thing, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, from experience getting blood taken it's it's just much more strategic to not cut open your palm like you it would take so long to heal and you're using your hand all the time slash what if you need to do two-handed weapons i feel like in this scenario or like that would be very likely and like can we i don't know thank you for my ted talk coming to my TED talk I just like I feel so strongly like why are people cutting their palms it's in every it's all over vampire diaries it's all over like all we we I think we saw it in the gilded ones like just everywhere yeah I don't really understand it it does seem like the most painful place also just probably like a little nick on your forehead would be good your head bleeds a lot when it bleeds so like if you need a lot just go for the head very strategic (laughs) Or I don't know, like prick your forearm or like a thigh or something. But anyway, so I'm waiting. I'm waiting for a book, (laughs) a fantasy book where someone doesn't cut their palm. If that's what you want, then you need to write it. (laughs) (laughs) Hearts. There were. That's all you. That's all Kelly wrote in here. It just says hearts. Hearts. (laughs) I, I don't know why, but I kind of kept thinking like imagining Davy Jones's heart from Pirates mm, of the Caribbean mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. in locked in this box and it's like beating away and it's like slowly dying um but they had multiple hearts they had there were they had four of five which is like yeah 80 percent's pretty good that is pretty like, good it's a B <laughs> strong B <laughs> that's a strong performance and then the lion had to go okay I didn't understand the like people having chest cavities that are open I think like it's ready for hearts he, yeah i think it's because of what he because he's an ifrit okay. right i think is he an ifrit or is he half and half like nasir I don't remember. oh is it nasir half and half and that's why he has he does he like has black blood and doesn't have a heart and i don't know i don't know i don't know but uh, <laughs> yeah it was kind of weird i guess it's like his human form i guess i don't know maybe like there's something about what he is that means you might want a uh-huh. heart in there someday. I liked I liked how like back to your comment about the narrative um like facility of just like moving the plot along and not making us travel. I was happy that we didn't have to go return all of the hearts to all of the minarets. Because I thought that's what we were going to see and I was like, "Oh, man, like I'm not really interested in seeing them like have problems trying to get all the hearts back, you know." Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have Ilya. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Um, but they're, it's the name for the magical items that have their own sentience and power. 
like the how do you pronounce this book the magic book yeah jarrah 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 yes yeah all right the jarrah <laughs> um, very bad at pronunciation <laughs> <laughs> um can you tell that jesse and i don't know arabic <laughs> not at all there was a, i did learn some hey during the reading of the book and i was like oh ibni son like dang yeah, yeah. um man so much to learn and but so like these magic learn. items i thought it was um i liked the like conversations that Z- zafira had in her head with the book i thought that was kind of cool to, to be like the um uh, they had almost like a banter. Yes. Especially towards the end. When they were more like, I missed you. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually kind of, I didn't think about this before. And I guess this could go and one does not simply as well. But like, even when she is like in communication with the book, like there is no possible talk about her going like, quote unquote, crazy or anything. A nice change of pace. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Although she does talk about having to keep it secret because she doesn't want to seem crazy. Yeah, but then when people find out, they don't think she is. So it's kind of like they're just one like of those things you worry about, but like you probably didn't need to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. That was a nice change of pace. Now we're going to talk about conflict villains, uh, good and evil in our segment. Get me Kylo Ren. So the vil- <laughs> the lion is back as the villain in this story. And you know what? He's kind of an understandable villain as they usually are just a person reliving and recreating the trauma that has been done to them as so many of our villains are so he's kind of like an understandable one at the same time you're like bro you're doing the wrong thing here but i think he's the only villain in the story really yeah he's the main one i would say he's like causing all the problems even with like patriarchy well yeah for sure but only like in some places (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. In other places, they don't seem to have patriarchy problems. Yeah. And for a minute, we thought Altair was a villain, and then he wasn't, which was wonderful, because I was really upset, because I liked him a lot, and I was like, no, don't be bad. <laughs> please, please don't be bad. Yeah, I was just kind of in denial, being like, no, I think Altair's going to be good at the end. <laughs> like, not. I'm not. I, I have like, to lost believe in faith. Him. I was like, my heart hurts. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, the like re- the trauma cycle is definitely like the motor behind the the lion and and his actions, and we do see some of the like because of the jarwat jarwat. Oh my god! No, I think you said it right the first time. All right, the jarwat. <laughs> I don't even know, um, but like we get to see some of those memories from inside. So that was like a cool way to actually transport the reader, um, but it wasn't like. I appreciate that it's not like justifying it. It's just saying like, wow, this really fucks everyone things up for everyone. It just kind of makes you understand the villain. Like it's an understandable villain, not in the way that some people like see like maybe the darkling or anything, but (laughs) an understandable villain in that, like you just need that backstory. Like even with, even with the backstory, you're still kind of like, and "Mm, I'm not doing the right thing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, you understand it, but you're like, ooh, you still shouldn't have done it, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I can see where they were coming from, but no. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. My comment on the for this section, I agree. It also has to do with the lion, so I kind of think that you're right about this. Is like, the main bad. 
person in the story. Um, so like the, the talk about conquering and cleaning out some space for the Ifrit and on page uh, 81, there's a quote that says violence was not how one established a home. And uh, like, I get where the sentiment is coming from. And also I feel like that's exactly how colonial powers, settler colonial powers, like makes that's how make home happens in the first place like dispossessing people of their land um, and and then like taking the resources and just replacing them with whoever you deem fit to be there. Um, yeah, so just like seems pretty salient as far as the uh, what's going on in like is in Palestine right now. Um, and yeah, just I don't know. I don't want to put that out there, I guess. Yeah, well, and I think we see um, Nasir kind of dealing with that with the Ifrit who has taken over um, someone else's, like, body. They're, like, pretending to be them. Um, but the Ifrit is like, we're not working this land for you so that you can prosper. Like, we want our own space. And Nasir is kind of dealing with, like, well, how do we do that and, like, bring you into our society and give you space without, like, taking from you as well? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's trying to be, like, diplomatic but also like understanding that like they need something and we have the ability to give that to them because we messed up already <laughs> um yeah which is kind of interesting to see like making space for someone without also taking advantage of them mm-hmm. and without like line. crushing anyone else and without like mm-hmm. trying to hierarchize really being like there was harm so like what does moving forward slash repair look like yeah and coming from Nasir who is also like he's kind of young and he doesn't really know like he's not tried to do the diplomacy thing before so kind of like how do we make this happen without hurting other people mm-hmm. um because obviously the ifrits are just like going in and taking over other places so they're like trying to find a balance yeah and it's not easy obviously after the harm has already been done mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. Zafira, this is her first time at the palace, um, like where Nasir lives. I don't remember the name of all the places. I feel like my memory is just like shit. I'm sorry. I also <laughs> No, I also had a hard time remembering the places and I was like, wait, where are we? Okay. Um, I'm along for the ride. Yeah, exactly. But when they're like at the main palace, like the big palace, <laughs> um, Zephyr is just like noticing all the elegance, all the wealth of the palace and kind of comparing it like to her home um, and Demon here and how like certain things that are in the palace like if they had that like the money that you would spend on that and how that would be used um so if she were at home and so it was just kind of interesting to see like this wealth disparity because we had been in Shar for most of the the last book but we began the book in Demon here with um Safira and her family and um like I guess her whole town wasn't it's not like super wealthy yeah living in Um, poverty pretty much yeah, so it it was interesting to see, like, I, I don't think we're going to get more books with Zafira and Nasir, but it would be interesting to see how they would try and, like, combat that now that they, they're in charge of a township or to see how, like, Demon here and um, 
Altair being on the throne might change some of those things because he knows someone who grew up poor. How does that change how he'll lead in the future? Um, so it's just interesting to see, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Those sort of clash moments between classes were, I, I, I enjoyed how they were fleshed out like this. Um, I think you're kind of alluding to the scene with like Kifa between Kifa and uh, is that how you say her name? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Zafira where they're talking about like how much money you would spend on food and it just seems like this really oh, yeah. banal thing but then Zafira mm-hmm. is like wow I have a way different conception than the other people around me about resources mm-hmm. and like I would never pay three whatever dinar for this yeah for like lunch or yeah whatever. and so it's like yeah and so it's like interesting to see how like even within her friend group because she's the one with like the least amount of money like how do those relationships work and like how do you navigate them and it can be a difficult thing when people are different you know in different um money situations like how do you talk about that with these people and like how do you deal with that and like kind of figure out like what your boundaries are around what you're willing to do and how you you know kind of live your life in different ways like what's acceptable you know to each person right and this kind of, we see this kind of constellated on a larger scene uh, with the like so-called riots happening um, because were they in the capital? Were they, well, there's different caliphates. So I was like a little, con- the riots were happening in Sultan's Keep or something. I think, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, because of taxes and general like mm-hmm. poverty and oppression and I thought like, the use of the word riot is, I don't know when I'm hearing it in, in like the context where I am now as a reader, it just, it, I don't know. It gets, it gets used as like a way to dismiss, uh, these very, um, what are often like very, uh, justified demands like for more resources or for equity or I don't, um, and, it just reminded me of this uh, Martin Luther King Jr. quote from a 1967 CBS interview where he said, riots are the language of the unheard. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to put this out there a little bit. When I think um, Hafsa kind of is like playing with that idea of like what you're talking about, of like what is a riot versus like what we think of it as being like damage to property versus a way for people to tell their leaders that they are not meeting their needs because Nasir is like talking to his dad and he's like, bro, you need to lower the taxes. Like this is what's causing the problems. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it has his solutions. Dad is like, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, you can fix it. This is what they're asking for. So Nasir understands like they're asking for something and you wouldn't understand unless they do it in this way. So that's why they're doing this. And his dad's like, now nah, we're just going to keep it. But obviously Nasir has been like in contact with enough people to know. So it's kind of just like, yeah, like what you're saying, like it's a different way of saying like this is what we need because if we don't do it in this way, like you're not gonna understand. Well, yeah, the, it's like it's political speech, and and it is like property is a concept that should not have like value over life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of forgot how many different peoples and races there are in this fant- fantasy world, like. 
um, Marid, Safin, Ifrit. We have like hybrids, which we talked about a little bit earlier with like the heart cavity conundrum. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but we also have, um, yeah, I didn't hear like, what was their name for like humans or just regular mortals or something? Cause there's like a mix between there's mortal beings and immortal beings. There's magical beings and non-magical beings. There's some beings, but, but that's not like necessarily set on species quote unquote or race, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And I think some of it is like, I don't know if we talked about this in the first episode, I don't really remember. <clears throat> um, but there's like a difference in the way people look based on where they're from in the story. And I just wanted to mention something that Hafsa, funny enough that I saw this morning, mentioned about Middle Eastern North African rep in this book. And I guess some people were upset because Zafira is light skinned and she has blonde hair and blue eyes. And um, I think people didn't like appreciate that or aren't understanding that like there are people from the Middle East and North Africa who have those like have those features um so like I don't like I don't feel knowledgeable about that area of the world in pretty much any way shape or form <laughs> but she was just kind of talking about like how obviously we can critique the book the books are in the reader's hands is for them to critique but like if you don't have knowledge about that area like you really shouldn't be talking about like what the about how good or bad the representation is yeah it's like a stay and, in your lane situation yeah exactly and so kind of like I think I was surprised to, to see someone who seemed like a white person you know as Zafira in the first book but like I don't know anything about that area so it's not for me to decide whether that is sufficient representation of the area or not um she was very kind about it and like she was like just saying like hey this is what I think like obviously I want people to read my book but if you don't know anything about the area like it's not really for you to say and I think that's a line we try and tow on the podcast I think and I think we do a pretty good job to be like yeah I'm not from this area I don't know things about this area so I can't speak to that yeah um but um other people probably can speak to that part of the book better than we can a hundred percent um and i do just want to clarify not to be like an asshole or nitpicky but uh zafira has dark hair oh does she oh, okay oh, okay light skin I don't remember dark now. hair blue eyes okay so but i can see the like yeah the the whole but you hear blue skin, eyes blue eyes and you think, eyes, and you think yeah. yeah 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 so um just want to mention like we don't know so like not for me to say <laughs> Do, 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 do. onward <laughs> there on page 281 there's this conversation that the part of the zoomer has about the future uncertainty and possibility and lana who is zafira's younger sister i think she's like 14 15 in this book yeah 14 which i read her as our resident gen z philosopher type <laughs> <laughs> when in this conversation she's talking about like the uncertainty and possibility after magic is returned to arawia and she's saying that's what makes the future beautiful and then keith versus kifa who's like older and more disillusioned and is like this battle war and like butch person and is like who's like that's what makes the future terrifying <laughs> um so i just i like this like almost it almost seemed like a generational or like a perspective world vision clash and i loved this moment you know because it's just like 
so fruitful as far as like what different people's visions of like possibility are yeah especially kifa might be like hundreds of years old like i don't know how old she is in comparison oh yeah to, that's like, true because like altair is like 90 <laughs> so i don't know how long she's been around but she's seen some shit and it is scary to not know what's gonna happen but i say that as an old person <laughs> <laughs> yep as a kifa basically <laughs> yeah uh the kifa in this situation oh that's funny Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. We finally have Nasir and Zafira get together. It takes like the whole book. <laughs> the entire thing. Also, I just want to say that Jesse is very excited about this because there are one, not one, two, three, four, but five exclamation <laughs> points. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but last time I was just like, oh, like the scene where she's like fixing it up his head like after he got hurt or whatever in mm. the first book like i'm just like <sighs> like i'm holding my heart right now but like oh <laughs> i like live and breathe for that kind of tension yes and they just like hafsa just wrote it so well and stretched it out for the whole book they don't get together until the very very end um and they like get married and like oh so sweet mm. especially when they're using like, the, like the uh just like the um like the the what's the word i'm looking for nicknames terms of endearment to each other i was mm -hmm, just like mm -hmm. i am broken on the inside <laughs> and the outside <laughs> like i have melted into a puddle of mush <laughs> and i love it i love it yeah when when zafira like quasi quote unquote died in the middle of the book i was just like no total denial she's not dead can't be has to get together with nasir i am suspending my disbelief like she's connected to a book i'm gonna hope for the best and we got hafsa it didn't yeah hafsa didn't like give anything away and she made no promises about happy endings so i was like oh my god zafira might really be dead <laughs> <laughs> i was just like there's 200 pages left 250 pages left at this point i'm i'm holding out hope and it all worked out in the end and at the end when like nasir is like he, i think he's like crying and 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 safira is like what you know like what's wrong like i think they like just had sex for the first time or something i don't know they were having some kind of like intimate moment there was off page like, implied yeah 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 and he's just like i'm undone with like the amount of love i have for you and i was like oh my oh god my i just love it so and you're like much. me too <laughs> <laughs> but it was just so beautiful and like uh I just like the, those last few chapters, like writing them together. I was just like so happy because when she like Zafira was like, no, I'm going back to Demon here and like I'm not staying with you. And like I thought that was going to be it. And I was like, what? Why? <laughs> and I was real sad, but she did it. She went back. Mm. And then, yeah, the way they get together, it didn't seem like trite or cliche or anything it was just like oh finally the the tension was resolved but they had oh Hafsa was like suspending the tension like all the beats were right like you got some of those intimate conversations or like the one bed scene or whatever like you got those where you needed them throughout the story um but there was still the uncertainty of whether or not they were going to get together and then mm, the way it just resolved in the end is just special and then <laughs> On the opposite end of that, we have Altair, who 
apparently was in love with Benjamin's wife before it was Benjamin's wife. And I guess while it was Benjamin's wife. Um, and then she betrays him and dies. And he's like, here's Yasmin's voice. And he's like, hmm, she sounds real pretty. Like, let me find out who <laughs> she is. But like Yasmin like hates his guts because she like he like killed her brother. Um and doesn't she say at one point like he's way too pretty to be a murderer? So like there's mm-hmm. a little so bit of can... insinuation there. Yeah, so I kinda like just want like even if it was like a novella, I just want to see how they're gonna end up together because I feel like they're definitely gonna end up together. Um but it was just hard to like over and over again read about Altair like never being first chosen by anyone. And I was just like and then the seer like picks him to be he's like, I'm not gonna be in charge, like you know, Altair will. The crown like, swap oh. at the end. Didn't see that coming. Nope. I was like, wow, there's so many surprises in here. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Kifa is ace. No interest in relationships, it seems. Like, you know, romantic relationships or sex. And um, at one point she thinks Altair is proposing. And he's like, no, I know you're not interested in any of that. So, like, will you just be like the sultan's sword <laughs> and she's like yeah, okay sounds great yeah i could do that i could do that i'm into that i can do that is, that my, yeah. that is my sexual orientation <laughs> yeah is swords i like swords <laughs> yeah i love i i love that it's like actually explored a little bit this aspect of her personality and is normalized um or of her identity and like that there's just like acceptance all around and but also and i think that like because of the having the conversation about being ace or aro or whatever, um, it puts like different kinds of love on the table, like actually mm-hmm. talking about platonic love, you know, which is really, really, really important to Kifa. And uh, yeah, talking about like, it, I don't know, these things that can kind of get like pushed to the side for that romantic love, you know? Yeah. And I think it's really important because, um, I think just because I was just reading the tweet from Hafsa this morning, I don't think I realized that um, Kifa is is black. And so, uh, like, oftentimes, at least, you know, in our, in, like, our culture, I feel like black women are often hypersexualized. So to see um, a black woman, obviously, she's not African-American, <laughs> but to see a black woman who is not hypersexualized and who's, like, accepted as being, like, not interested in those things, I'm interested in fighting and swords and like being friends um, is a nice change of pace. And to round out shipwrecked, I ship the Zumra. They're beautiful together. Yes. Ugh, I love it. It's so sweet. Oh, just such good friends and, it, and such it's good friendship. And like the camaraderie that comes with like actually being comrades in arms, like quite literally fighting for a similar goals and like doing essentially movement work together. Right. And uh, even if they're not like physically or geographically together, they're still like connected because of their shared experiences and their values and how much they love each other. And it's nice because in the end, no one has to be alone. Um, Altair and Kifa get to stay together. And then obviously um, Nasir and Zafira. So they each get to like have a piece of the Zumra with them always. It's real sweet. (laughs) I love it. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called Kill Your Darlings. I only wrote one thing in here, and it's (laughs) one of my favorite tropes. Like, enemies to lovers, number one. 
but there's only one bed like when they started staying in hotels, I was like, at what point will there only be one bed? <laughs> you knew it. Because that's how it always happens. And I always love it. And nothing happened with them. They're just like cuddling, like woke up cuddling. Um, but it was just like so sweet. And I'm like, my poor heart, my like dark, dead heart cannot even handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you are so soft sometimes. It's oh, so I cute. know. It's ridiculous. It's not. It's disgusting. No, it's great. I love this. I love this for you. What has Hafsa done to me? She has broken me. <laughs> um, there's. I wrote just a few things. Um, okay, like seven. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I, I noticed that there was a lot of canting of the head. Did you notice that? Oh, like, yeah. I don't think I noticed. But um, I just like, sometimes I just wish I could turn my brain off because the pattern recognition is like one time, sometimes I'll hear a thing or I'll see a thing and then it'll be everywhere. Yeah. Let me tell you, if you ever reread Twilight, you'll see Ugh. the word kismet like five million times. Which you had to explain <laughs> to me on a podcast episode right, previously. <laughs> So anyway, there was good word choice in this in this book. Um, there were more dramatic line breaks, which I, I know you're the not. Audiobook, so I didn't notice. <laughs> I was I I so like I know that that's not how you read it because of this thing because of poetry, et cetera, et cetera, and it's this it's this uh, device called enjambment, e n j a m b m e n t, where like the line continues on different actual like physical lines, but that doesn't because there's no punctuation or anything there's no pauses so it read like more dramatic line breaks but to me i don't know just something in the white space like i know it's supposed to like stand out uh so yeah um hafsa coming out with the similes too lots of good similes and metaphors um do you have anything to say about line breaks or similes or am I just I don't like think so. doing I that? think I just noticed like how poetic the writing was in certain spots. Like when, like, I think I mentioned those time when uh, Nasir says like he was like undone and I just like loved it so much. And I was just like, man, I'm not a big poetry person, but I can see like getting into it, reading this, you know, like reading Hofstra's words. I'm like, oh, love it. I, yeah. Well, you did. It is very poetic. Like it, that's a hundred percent true. Um, the characterization is was excellent. You know, I love like those existential crises moments, maybe because I have a personal affinity for them. <laughs> <laughs> so like Zafira asking herself the big questions on page 353. Who was she now? What purpose did she serve in the world? And I was like, stop adding me. Uh, we There is no purpose. You just live the best life you possibly you just can and enjoy as much shine. as you can. And then you you do you. And then you attract the other people with their lights shining (laughs) in a similar way. It's beautiful. Yeah. But hard to think through. Yes. And hard (laughs) to just like get over yourself sometimes, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I really, really liked how act three was mostly resolution. Um, That like we weren't waiting for the lion to die in act three, for example, the big bad to die in act three. Like we actually get to see that the measures that are taken to create stability and after this power vacuum is created um, and after this like big battle and revolution. And I'm not sure that like so many of the young adult fantasy books that we read, it's interesting. It's like a curious thread that they're all, a lot of them are about overthrowing oppressive regimes. 
mm-hmm. um, like the process to doing it, like the waking up to consciousness underneath one, the process of like gathering support and then actually doing the thing, staging a coup or whatever. And then um, like, I don't think we some, we sometimes don't get like that whole developed after part, you know? Um, so I, yeah, I we just see the power vacuum created and assume it'll all work out in the end. And you're like, <laughs> well, has, should we assume that that, but yeah. I see and what work is required to make that happen. That's what we don't see. Like, how do we, well, it's not like it necessarily gets easy after the mm-hmm. oppressive regime is gone. Like there's still work to be done. There's, and also I, I like how Hafsa was talking about, or in the exposition was talking about like the collective trauma and the grief and the process of rebuilding. Um, and it's something that, you know, I'm thinking about as like Corona virus, COVID-19 pandemic like I don't know it's like a weird off-ramp but also not really because of the global context and vaccine apartheid and things like that um so anyway it's just I I like how this book is making me think about the hard stuff you know about like it's about what we're building also exactly you mentioned this in shipwrecked but the last chapters were exquisite the last mm-hmm. sentence, the last emotion you leave your readers with is just like so fucking good. Oh my God, so good. And I was like, oh shit, this book is making me like really feel things at the, like the, and to think he like wished he could feel nothing at all. Like, <sighs> like I'm undone. I'm undone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. And I was like, ended the book with a smile on my face, like a literal smile. Like, I was just like, oh, I'm so happy. We Hunt the Flame is getting developed into a TV series. I did not know that. Yes. So I I just think it's like um we're there's a a thing going on and we're seeing mm-hmm. Shadow and Bone is the tip of the fucking iceberg as far as mm-hmm. like a, and like tiny pretty things for on the like YA contemporary side, you know, or uh the to all the boys, you know, like yeah, tip love Victor. Of the I yeah tip of the iceberg YA fiction is really shaping streaming and like content production um in tv and film and like we're the tastemakers y'all like we've been with the we've been here for this shit the whole time (laughs) and it's I don't know it's just an interesting moment to be wrapped up in this and talking about and like so immersed you know in the conversation with both you and our listeners and our discord and stuff like that before we end, it's time for real talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a concept, system, or trend that you hadn't before? Jesse wrote a thing in here. <laughs> a real thing, not a... <laughs> I was like, uh, I was waiting to get to the bottom and be like, this bitch is going to leave it empty again. <laughs> I didn't. I wrote the importance of sentimental items. So I was thinking about um, Zafiro losing the like sword Jambia. Yeah, that her dad had given her um, in order, you know, she made this like kind of like a sacrifice for her to lose that so that they could get um, the like the blood of Nasir's mom, the silver witch. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about needing blood, needing mom yeah. blood. Mom blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Nasir gives her a new sword thing. I don't know if it was also a Jambia or not, but um, it 
it was like the first one he had gotten and it had like sentimental value to him. And it was just like, sometimes I think you forget like you, not you, me as an older (laughs) person, (laughs) like the importance of like sentimental items. And like, I hold on to stuff. I am like, I like, it's like the one, like not one, it's one of the soft things about me. It's like, I just like hold on to stuff. I'm like, Oh, I got this t-shirt when I was an RA in college. And like, I still have it. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'll just like, I don't wear it, but like, I'll remember being an RA forever or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, like silly stuff like that. Like right now I'm wearing the jacket I got at my first MCR show. Oh, <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. I've had this since like high school, but like it, it was interesting to just see, like, I think sometimes we kind of try and like create these like minimalistic lives and then kind of, it gets rid of like the sentimental items that are important to us. Um, and I just kind of liked how the sentimental items are really important in the story and like the memories and the reasons behind them are really important. So I just really liked that. I'm glad you brought that up. (laughs) The thing that I have brought is uh, a little heavier, I think maybe Um, it's about Nasir's abuse and process of healing. And I think that the, there could have been like content warning, Maybe we should put one at the top of the episode. I don't know for like child abuse, mm-hmm. but like um, I I just really um, appreciated how we get into his psyche a little bit and the like literal mind fuck that it is to like come to con- come to awareness of what you have been through. Um, and so there's a quote that I'm going to read because obviously. <laughs> it's from page it's Kelly. 200 to 201 I'm a, I like close reading in case you haven't noticed <laughs> Nasir expected to be happier freer instead he felt like a cornered animal uncertainty caging him for his father looked exactly as he had yesterday exactly as he had weeks ago months ago and that meant looking into his face and reliving years of pain perhaps worse than abuse was waking up to the fact the realization striking and unmooring that the norm one had lived was not at all normal just wow so this this book in the series explores so many big things in ways that i think are really um approachable and uh like very honest yeah this is a heavy one kelly sorry (laughs) (laughs) um but no i agree i like that the book like dealt with these things and kind of just like how i think sometimes people expect um, victims of abuse or people who have suffered from abuse to, you know, if a person has apologized or if they've changed their ways, just like get over it really quickly. But like, it's, it's not that easy to just unlive the trauma you've been through, especially in the Sears case for years, you know, so um, you can kind of see it in the story. Nasir doesn't exactly trust him. And he's like, Oh, is this, is this who he is? Or like has, you know, the lion's curse or taking over of him changed him irreparably. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. Are you ready for some card questions? Let's do some card questions. That's an easy one. It said, would you like to read other book works by this author? And I'm like, obviously. Yes. Yes. I think there is another book in the works already. Maybe one, it might be an adult book. I looked it up. Um, and it, gunpowder and tea or something yeah it's 
like Bilda's Peaky Blinders meets <gasps> meets something meets there's like vampires and a tea room. Ugh. I'm so that's in. like a front for vampires. Oh, I love Peaky Blinders and vampires. So. Killian Murphy. <sighs> okay. Uh, what was the personal impact of this book? I think I would go back to I can answer first. Okay. I go back, back to what we just talked about, the, the existential crisis question <laughs> about, like, you just be yourself and let your light shine. Yeah, I think maybe for me, it's like, um, I think this might, it's not the first book I've read that, you know, took on ancient Arabian um, setting or anything like that. But this, along with, you know, like An Ember in the Ashes, just like trying to seek out more authors, um, especially authors with that background uh to like read more of their works because it's not something that i'm familiar with but i have really enjoyed all those works so um yeah and just like whatever hofsa writes i'm like i'm in i'm here we're here <laughs> for it impatiently awaiting mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't like that one i don't know i'm trying to find that good one to end with a bang okay maybe we'll do this how did the characters change from the beginning to the end of the book slash I would add series? I would say the biggest change is probably Nasir because he's like learned to trust people and form relationships with them and found that that's an important thing to do if that's something that you want. Um, he learns how having- to be vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Especially having suffered from abuse, it can be really hard, I think, to make those connections. So um, his was the biggest change. And I think for Safira, it was realizing um, she didn't want to be like her mom who had like, you know, settled down and married, but also realizing like, if that is something you want, there's nothing wrong with it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You don't have to just like rebel for rebellion's sake. You can also like do things that give you joy and bring meaning to your life, like be in relationship with someone you love. Yeah, and it's it's pretty satisfying. (laughs) Or it can be. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Vicious Spirits by Kat Cho, which is the Gumiho number two. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you, magical people. Let us know what you think of the episode. Say hi to us. Basically, come to our DMs. Be be with us on Twitter and Instagram. Jesse does an amazing job with the social media. I can take zero credit. You can subscribe to the Library Coven on the podcast app of your choice. We'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other people out there. Um, We've gotten some real nice comments recently, so we always appreciate it very much. Love you. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon and or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Kelly is recording on Cheyenne, Ute, and Arapaho land. Jesse is recording on Peoria, Kaskakia, Payankasha, Weya, Miami, Muscotin, Odawa, Sak, Meskwaki, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chickasaw land. <laughs> <laughs>